Welcome to this gift podcast, weekly conversations on global travel trend lines. Volatility in the world and how the travel industry deals with it was one of the big themes at the first ever Skift Forum Europe in London this spring. Terror attacks, political upheaval, isolationist policies, and security crackdowns are all changing the way that travelers make decisions and move around the globe. On this episode of the Skift Podcast, we're hearing from two experts who take a global view of tourism amid all that change. We spoke to them behind the scenes in the Skift Take studio during the forum in London. First, we'll hear from Olivier Jagger, CEO and co-founder of Forward Keys, which compiles tourism data based on reservations transactions. Then we have a conversation with Gerald Lawless, chairman of the World Travel and Tourism Council. He was a speaker at the forum. They both spoke to me, editor and podcast host, Hannah Sampson. And before we start with the Forward Keys CEO, a little bit of context. The company got widespread attention earlier this year after putting out an analysis saying that international travel to the United States dropped 6.5% in the days following the Trump administration's first travel ban. We talked to Olivier about that and much more. So here's Olivier Jager. So your your company basically like tells the future, right, of, of travel demand. That's That's the idea? Yes. To put it simply... We work in, the travel industry is highly digitized. The travel industry is essential to lots of businesses. We tend to look at the, at the traveler as this guy who actually booked a seat. And in fact, he's an economical agent traveling around the world and affecting lots of businesses. So obviously we understood that monitoring and anticipating traveler trends from any source market to a dis- any, any destination is essential to lots of businesses. So much beyond air, it includes hotel, it includes car, but it includes uh, amusement park, it includes uh, shopping mall, it includes uh, um, uh, aircraft manufacturer. I mean, there's, there's lots of businesses revolving around that, luxury brands, shopping mall, etc. And that, that's what we do. So we try to collect as much uh, information that we can on the uh, travel reservation side so that we can anticipate that demand through some algorithm of ours to help our customers to anticipate their own business. Um, well, I was going to say, why, why would anyone want that? But I guess, why would anyone not want that? Um, what, what do your customers do with that information? How does it help them? Yeah, it might not be relevant for everybody. It might be interesting, but not essential. Uh, we try to make ourselves essentials with those that have a vested interest in, um, um, in, um, in better understand how their market is building up because that's, that's what it's about. If you look at, uh, well, our, our, the, the heart, heart of our industry, which is, you know, I guess, air, hotel, and car, uh, all these guys are doing revenue management practices. Well, that is about anticipating trends. Um, and they do it uh, in fairly conservatively within their own ecosystem, right? So if I'm a car guy, I look at my pickup and car, and I uh, see what happened last year, and this is how I anticipate demand. But at the end of the day, the guys who will be renting these cars will be sitting in an air- airline 
uh, aircraft at one point. So if you're able to, to create a model around all these guys that will be carried to a destination, understanding how long they're staying, when they're flying back, etc., etc., um, you can help those guys anticipate that demand. And again, that's true uh, for uh, airports. That's true that airports that uh, for for duty-free guys, for for luxury brands. All these guys have a um, um, there's a huge business around the the traveler. Again, as I was saying, as an economical agent, and that's uh, that's who we try to to cater to. So the question is why, but the why would depend on the silos I just uh, sure. referred to, right? Uh, it might be their car rentals interest in revenue management. It might be that a duty-free guy is interested in targeting the Chinese between 10 a.m. and, and, and 12 a.m. for a specific promotion. Um, and um, that's where we would help as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I started paying a lot more attention to forward keys in the last couple of months because you guys put out press releases about um, data following the travel ban. Um, and, and there was a lot of headlines about it. So I'm I'm just curious, like, is that is that the kind of forecast or the kind of current event that um, is valuable to you to kind of weigh in on um, to get your name out? Or I mean, nobody's having to pay you for that information. You're kind of offering it. So what's the what's the thought process behind putting out a release based on the data that you have for something like that? Yeah. Um, to start with, we're a team of analysts. So everything we do should have an angle of 90 percent, 90 degree, right? I mean, we we don't uh, we we're not here to have fun with with any of the data we're doing, and everything we we release with hopefully is to the professional grade that we expect to release. Now, sometimes that gets in the hands of PR, and sometimes the titles might be a little bit more provocative than we would intended intended to. But at the end of the day, uh, specifically when it comes to the U.S. and in general globally, every event. Um, has an impact. This this is a this is a volatile business. It's mm-hmm. a very volatile business because, as the CEO of Norwegian was saying in the panel this morning, um, the lion's share of the of the travelers today is the leisure segment, and this is the one that will grow, but is the most um, um, uh, fickle are the most uh, inconstant mm-hmm. and think about it yourself you, you can go home uh, and you know uh, Monday and uh, or, or the weekend and have a discussion with your family or where you should spend your next vacation and uh, you're putting your 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 bets on Brazil on the Monday and on Wednesday you you booked for Ecuador mm-hmm. because it doesn't matter so much it obviously has a huge change of consequences right so I don't think anyone has spent the, the time and energy and effort and money that we have in trying to decipher those data and get down to the very bottom of it. Mm-hmm. The ability to reflect on three days of bookings just after after a, a geopolitical decision was made has never been done before. Mm-hmm. And I think, and we have this ability to report on this, and therefore we we use this as a showcase of of, of the things we're able to do, right? Mm-hmm. And I think uh, we we have we have we don't even have an opinion on Trump. That's not our business, right? Trump, you're referring to the, the yeah. Trump slump uh, uh, report that we released. We we don't want to have an opinion. That's not the point. And if only we have to have an opinion is that we don't like anything that is not promoting travel because travel is good, good for the people, good for industry, good for the economy. And we just want to make the point that at the end of the day, um, travel is very fragile. 
mm. very fragile. You can look at all the reports we've done. You know, it is it, it can be uh, uh, for the uh, obviously the terrorist attack, but uh, you could also look at uh, the deaths of the king in Thailand. You could look at uh, the Pope traveling anywhere. You know, these are triggers to that demand. Mm -hmm. And as a member of this industry, it's important and every day more important for all these people here in the Skips Conference to uh, understand these 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 triggers that are going to have an impact on demand to their product. And this is really what it's about. It's showcasing this. Yeah. Uh, the governor of New Jersey, I think, was not appreciative of that. I don't know if you if you were familiar or I read a story yesterday where he said it was a partisan group that released the data and he rejected it. Um, well, I'll tell I'm you not what, sure if that's what you were anticipating. No, we were not. We were not, uh, to be honest. Uh, and some of our best contacts in the U.S. have become silent since we released this. And so we've been oh, scratching wow. our head trying to find out why, why we did this. But frankly, it doesn't matter because uh, it's not a partisan thing. And we were sponsored by nobody. Right. But at one point, you need to be able to put the real information on the table. By the way, we tweeted early this morning something that we see uh, inbound USA on a on on huge rebound. Mm -hmm. So that's fantastic news. But um, I think it is ignored quite often the 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 um, the, uh, the impact of those you know geopolitical decision mm -hmm. um, uh, on a very different scale on a very different scale the tension between South Korea the U S and China about these missiles being deployed by the U S in South Korea yeah. led to a, a virtually where you know China to Korea has has has, has gone down in a range of seventy percent. Wow. So we're not talking about six or twelve percent from 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 uh, the the Middle East. We're talking about a real revolution. All the retailers in that region of the world are absolutely, um, you know, worried because the season is done. Uh, their business plan is dead, and that's the kind of thing we're trying to uh, to to reflect on. So I'm sorry for Gover Governor New Jersey. We actually called the White House mm -hmm. and suggested we could provide some information. Uh, and we were answered that um, uh, um, the official statistic had not been released yet. And uh, so, you know, that, that's all we heard. Now, that's exactly what we're trying to fight against. Because if you wait for next year before the official statistics <laughs> right. are released, it's too late. Yeah. Information is power, mm -hmm. right? And, 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 and being able to provide to these guys the, the, the means to measure the impacts of each of these decisions is, is a serious tool. Yeah. And um, I think you sh you had some reports after Brexit also. And, and I know there was a lot of questions on what Brexit would mean for the travel industry. And it seems like what it meant was the pound was weaker and people were taking advantage of uh, it being cheaper to go there. I don't know if that was like a causation that you found um, in your data. But but I guess let me ask you, what what kind of impact have you seen Brexit have on travel into um, England. Yeah, I mean, the, the at the end of the day, nobody cares as a traveler as Brexit, mm -hmm. uh, specifically in the leisure in the leisure uh, part. But if a currency goes down and the perspective of spending cheaper holidays to this place you've always wanted to visit mm -hmm. uh, makes a difference at the time you you make a decision. So I'm I I am not sure where we stand on this, and um, we might have released some some more recent stuff. But obviously, weaker pound triggered a, a allowed for a, you know triggered lots of bookings from the U.S. into into the U.K. Uh, so that's a positive thing, but we're all seeing outbound UK pretty doing pretty good right now. Outbound, also. so yeah, yeah. So uh, so um, you know, it's too early really 
Um, the level of granularity we have really allows for tactical infra de uh, tactical uh, uh, decisions, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. So three, four, five days, two months, three months. Uh, but I think uh, now we'll have to see in the future what uh, this Brexit leads us to. But it's gonna, it might take a couple of years before we can really say, well, that was good or not good for, uh, for tourism. Interesting. Um, given everything you can see in the crystal ball that you, <laughs> that you have, um, do you look at 2017 and say, you know, we think, we think all in all this will be a positive year or do you do, you do that kind of... Um that kind of forecast? No, we don't. You don't. We don't. We don't. I mean, uh, you know, a, a lot of institution, uh, uh, WTTC, UNWTO, uh, PATA, um, um, uh, are good with with this and, and more. Uh, Ayata as well. Uh, our our uh, we, we try to get into this from a from a very tactical perspective. And for us, uh, we can look four months down the road maybe six, but that's an absolute maximum. And uh, as you can uh, quite logically uh, see, we, we, with these six months, you do not get to December. So <laughs> it's very early for us to see. Now, in general, uh, I think uh, the, uh, the odds are good that, uh, that, that we're gonna have a, a good year on the plus three, plus 4%. So uh, that's, gonna be, that's gonna be good. But we've changed world. Uh, and I would say uh, since the Bataclan event in Paris, mm -hmm. and uh, there are uh, lots of events rocking the world. Uh, we've seen St. Petersburg, we've seen London. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think there are two things that needs to be taken into account. Uh, one thing is that people are learning that you can be hit in your own city and you should not stop traveling mm -hmm. uh, because that can happen everywhere. Um, even in, in even in places like Paris and Brussels and and you wouldn't and expect London, in London, absolutely. Yeah. And St. Petersburg is one of the top destinations worldwide for leisure tourism, obviously, because it's a very beautiful city. Um, and uh, and at the end of the day, the, the studies we've done uh, specifically on the Chinese is that uh, travel reinvents itself. Mm. If, she, if I take my example earlier, you were thinking about going to Rio or to Brazil and you're ending up uh, going to Costa Rica, uh, that means that you're reinventing your decision. And the Chinese do this. And I'm, I'm, I'm referring to the Chinese because that's a study we've conducted. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they do more, more domestic travel. Uh, when the, the, the European uh, events from I mean, Bataclan, Zaventem, Brussels airports happen, they just been exploding uh, uh, travel in uh, in South Asia and Southeast Asia. They they're just reinventing themselves uh, locally or domestically, uh, and and that means that again um, travel reinvents itself. So maybe you will see a deficit of travel to one specific destination, but it will it's just because they're going somewhere else and they'll be back. Mm -hmm. And that's the that's uh, it's just like water. It goes back to where where there is emptiness. It comes back always. Nice. Uh, very good. Thank you so much. My pleasure. That was Olivier Jaeger of Forward Keys. And now we have Gerald Lawless, head of tourism and hospitality for Dubai Holding and chairman of the World Travel and Tourism Council. The WTTC is a global body representing private sector travel, tourism and hospitality leaders. Um, so you were named to this position in 2016? Yes, okay. that's right. Yeah. So through 2018? Yes, exactly, okay. till April of this time next year. <laughs> <laughs> um, busy, busy time for travel uh -huh, and tourism. Is. 
Well, I think every time is a busy time for travel and tourism, to be honest. And, uh, you know, we've been so encouraged with the growth of travel and tourism on an international basis over the last several years. And even in 2016, an estimated 1.2 billion people took an international journey, mm. which I think is great news for our, our industry. And certainly with the contribution that the industry makes to uh, the global economy, it's something that we within the Royal Travel and Tourism Council have been talking about for very many years. And finally, we feel that we are getting the message across uh, to governments in particular. We work very closely as well with the United Nations World Tourism Organization. But really to get across the message that uh, travel and tourism is a force for good uh, in terms of the economy it now is uh, estimated to contribute 10% of global GDP. In terms of employment, we employ directly and indirectly within the sector uh, 200, uh, 292 million people worldwide, which is almost 10% of the global labour force. So we are getting this message across to governments and uh, to other interested parties to let people know just how good this industry is for not only the economy, but we believe as well uh, on a, for, for society generally, Particularly, uh, if you look in the hotel business, you know how good we are at employing young people. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the situation that you have, for example, in uh, some parts of Southern Europe, where you have upwards of you know 30, 40 percent of under 25 year olds unemployed, and if you look at our businesses, you see that uh, we have a really large proportion of young people under 30 mm -hmm. uh, working for us. So I think we do a lot of good in that sector also. When you're talking to members, um, mm -hmm. what are what are their big priorities um, like over the last year and, and what mm -hmm. are their concerns? Well, I think it was the big priorities, which also happens to be the concerns, I guess, is things like uh, let's keep open skies. I mean, open skies is so important for what it's done for the industry. If you look what's happened uh, here in Europe, where uh, all companies, airlines like Ryanair, EasyJet, uh, all these uh, airlines that have really just transformed the industry over several years and that uh, now people can travel very easily, they can afford to travel. You look at what happens with transatlantic uh, uh, flights and you know how important it is and how beneficial it has been for the airlines, for the industry, I think for everybody, that uh, an open skies policy which started with the US now applies in Europe and indeed to have uh, open skies policies throughout is one of the greatest concerns that uh, I certainly would have as a chairman of an organization like the WTTC and our members are definitely very keen to ensure that uh, this continues and it's allowed to grow. Uh, in many ways you would say that uh, the over-regulation of airlines needs to be addressed because after all airlines are now a business they're not just like in the cold war a strategic asset where people thought or governments thought they needed to keep the airlines in case uh, they would have the awful scenario of uh, a conflict um, between the east and the west but now we see that uh, really we are a business as an airline an airline is a business so why one has to have the ICAO agreement where you have uh, reciprocal rights from one country to another, air traffic rights. I mean, after all, if an organization wants to build a hotel, for example, that is based here in London and they want to build a hotel in New York, as long as they have the site, the planning permission, and uh, they apply the safety rules, they, um, they will be allowed to build. Uh, whereas 
you know, why should a, a hotel company doesn't need hotel rights to go to New York just because it's an, an English or a British company? Similarly, I believe ultimately that airlines should be allowed to fly wherever they want to as long as they meet the safety standards that are applied uh, on a very sensible basis already through IATA and the other airline regulatory bodies uh, like the FAA. So as long as they apply these, uh, these safety rules, why shouldn't they be allowed to fly? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a business, and I and I I know a couple of airlines in the U.S. who would come back with the, with their with their concerns about open skies. You know, that's a debate that is ongoing. Mm, yes, they, they might. But in fairness to the U.S. airlines, and in fairness to the U.S., it was the U.S. really that uh, created the concept of open skies, mm-hmm. and uh, that continues to evolve and develop. So we would hope they would remain true to that particular philosophy. Um, it's been. You said it's always busy for travel, and it it is, but um, some of the forces, I mean, since you started your term, I guess, Mm -hmm. there are multiple terror attacks in in cities that, you know, aren't accustomed to that kind of thing, Um, political instability. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, political change yes. also in, in the U.S. and um, here in the U.K. Mm-hmm. What, um, what kind of threats do you see to travel and tourism, um, given some of the more isolationist um, sentiments that we've been hearing? And, um, and what's your role, really, in addressing, you know, concerns about mm-hmm. borders and... Um, keeping people out of certain countries. Well, you know? we're great proponents of, uh, in addition to open skies, certainly as well, uh, of, say, uh, a border regime such as Schengen. I think Schengen has been a really enlightened approach uh, to travel. We've been working within the WTTC and indeed other organizations for many years now to discuss the whole possibility of uh, improving the approach to the issuing of visas, for example. Uh, we'd like to think that the whole world could go on to electronic visa. Why should we have paper visas in, in, in this day and age? And also for people who want to travel, to facilitate travel, but also to make travel secure and safe is very important for all of us. But we should use the technology that we have to ensure that data is being shared on a responsible basis, you know, through organizations such as Interpol, Europol, through the, uh, the British Police Forces, and indeed uh, through organizations such as Homeland Security in the United States. If you look at the ESTA program, that applies at the moment with visa waiver for so many countries. This this really works so well and it's very efficient. Australia has a very efficient e-visa system as well. So we look to see where is best practice and what can be done to make best practice the practice uh, and the norm uh, for the the issuing and indeed for the administration of visas. Because, you know, the the atrocities that have occurred uh, over the last several months and (coughs) in places like Paris, and in Brussels, they've all been uh, committed by people who are homegrown. So therefore, it doesn't really, the country you come from doesn't really decide right. whether or not you're a safe person to travel. L- London and Russia more recently, I think, <clears throat> I yes. think they've just said that the, the, the bombing in, in Russia was a, a citizen 
probably a suicide bomber. Yeah. But, but and it, it, it is. It has so much. We now that has been demonstrated to be the case in right. so many in so many instances. That really, it's all about the individual as opposed to the country that individual may or may not have come from. Mm -hmm. So therefore, from that perspective, definitely, uh, we would say that uh, the uh, more logical approach to the issuing the application and the administration of the whole visa process needs to be addressed in a way that will enhance security and at the same time will facilitate travel. So it's a win-win for both sides. Mm -hmm. What Do you have any expectation for 2017? Do you, do you all do a forecast or do you have a sense? <laughs> do you have a crystal ball that you look into to tell you what, what to expect uh, this year? I think being based in a city like Dubai, we've become eternally optimistic and we've <laughs> had good cause to be optimistic over the years. But I am optimistic. I mean, we've seen the... Uh, uh, January and February, you know, the, even the first quarter now that March has finished has been a really strong quarter for the global economy. And it has, uh, we see, we've seen a lot of recovery and uh, I think a very good uh, situation as far as business is concerned. I certainly think that uh, the, uh, the concern, and yes, there is concern uh, about, say, the change of administration in the United States. You know, we still have to wait and see how all of this pans out mm -hmm. because uh, it will change over time. And I think particularly in our our sector, the uh, President Trump administration has a lot of, uh, from the, his own family business, uh, have, have a lot of assets in the uh, hospitality and tourism sector, which uh, ultimately I think at least helps the administration to understand the uh, the importance of travel, tourism and hospitality uh, for the growth of the economy worldwide. I've recently been traveling uh, quite a bit in places like Thailand and Cambodia mm -hmm. and one really sees the, uh, the, the vibrancy of, of the economies there and I think it's something that we in the West don't always uh, understand is, is moving at a great pace. Cambodia, mm -hmm. for example, albeit a, a small economy, is growing at 7.6% per annum. Then look at China. So we're all in doom and gloom because the growth is down to 6.5%. Right. But hey, we'd settle for that, wouldn't we? <laughs> or, yeah. or even half of it right now. So from that perspective, I'm very optimistic. And you know, we, we've seen even in a place like Dubai, where travel and tourism uh, has grown by 12% on year on year uh, for arrivals into Dubai uh, for January, February. And again, it comes down that UAE recently announced visa waivers our visa on arrival for Chinese citizens and Russian citizens. And hey, believe it or not, the Russian visitors to, to Dubai for the first two months grew by 84%. Wow. Now, albeit on a low base Probably because what had happened in Russia previously, because Russia was a very important market to Dubai. But to see an 84% increase mm -hmm. right on the back of a visa waiver is extremely encouraging. And I think it's a good example of what we can do on an international basis uh, with us like said before, you know, looking at how we apply the whole, uh, the whole business of visas. Mm -hmm. um, we, we at Skift write a lot about over tourism. Yes. So, so like just overdoing it in, in a country that's um, already really popular. Iceland is a, an example that we've mm -hmm. written about a lot. Mm -hmm. um, do you, I mean, do you think there's such a thing <laughs> as over tourism <laughs> or what, what do you think is the, I don't know if you feel like there's a responsibility to um, 
look at sustainable growth as opposed to just unfettered growth. You know? Yes, I think that sustainable and imaginative growth is uh, what you really have to look at. And uh, I mean, I have always said the last thing we wanted to do, we want to do in our business is destroy the very product we're promoting. Mm-hmm. So you have pristine beaches, you have beautiful cities. If they get overcrowded, of course you have a problem. But in reading uh, your article about uh, over tourism, as you call it, I think it was very interesting where you gave examples about cities like Barcelona where they really start to encourage tourists to uh, explore outside. Mm-hmm. And I think this is part of the reason because, or part of the solution, because you can't really just say, well, we want to make tourism uh, an elitist occupation because everybody wants to travel once they can afford to do so. And I think it's in our interest and long-term interest of the industry to facilitate that. Coming from Ireland, for example, uh, we've always found that, you know, tourists the first time they all want to go to Dublin and then they may have heard about Kerry and Killarney in that area in southwest Ireland but the uh, tourism Ireland a few years ago came up with the ingenious idea of looking at the whole western seaboard of Ireland which actually is facing across the Atlantic and is one of the most dramatic uh, seaboards in the world and what they did is they introduced uh, a, a, a a way or uh, a road, which the roads were already there and everything, of course, called the Wild Atlantic Way, which yeah. was a great name. But they signposted all of it. They started looking at guest houses and uh, bed and breakfasts and hotels right down the coastline. And suddenly you get a surge of traffic yeah. that's moving out of Dublin into discover the rest of Ireland. And I think that's really the secret to looking at over tourism uh, that in places that you would be really concerned about and getting people and encouraging visitors to explore and of course you get this and I love to think that people who go on a journey uh, go on a voyage go on a vacation uh, come back feeling a sense of enrichment for what they've done by going uh, on this uh, on this journey so I think you get a great sense of enrichment by saying you know what I actually explored the country and I got to meet the area people in the rural areas and how nice that was and that would then facilitate definitely the development of tourism in areas they may not have benefited from it in the past and would also relieve the pressure on some of the... Now, it's not the only solution, obviously. The management of the actual destination has to come into it. We've seen in places like um, Angkor Wat in, um, in Cambodian Siem Reap, where you know the people are, are not really educated to understand that you have to respect these monuments. Yeah. And therefore, the, the overall tourism management, especially in developing destinations, uh, is very much the responsibility of people like us within the business mm-hmm. who've been doing it for a long time, who've come from, say, developed countries, to assist in these areas, not to tell them what to do, but at least to give uh, some guidance as to how uh, a tourism destination can be properly managed in terms of respecting the actual monument, if that's what it is, yeah. or whatever way you, you actually uh, behave when you're in one of these areas. You mentioned China's growth um, being a slightly less robust 6.5% as opposed to, I think, the mm-hmm. 7 that it's been. Yeah. Um, so everyone's talking, despite that, everyone's still interested in China as a source market and wants, yes. um, wants to try to figure out the best way to cater to that Mm -hmm. emerging and traveling middle class. Um, Do you expect to see that group of travelers continue to grow? And um, I mean, how do you think destinations around the world are going to be successful at Mm -hmm. really capturing that group of travelers? Well, what uh, strikes me as very similar is in the 80s and early 90s, the Japanese 
uh, growth in outbound tourism is not dissimilar now to what's happening in China today, but of course is on a much larger scale. Mm -hmm. And I think, well, first of all, the visa situation that I just mentioned, like visa waivers to allow Chinese people to actually come to countries is very important. Uh, I also think that it's a, it's, it's a great source market at all levels because the Chinese market is uh, truly expanding from, say, the elite and very wealthy into a very solid middle class, which has now started to come up in China. And this gives us huge opportunity within the industry to be able to help to evolve this over time. And I believe it's up to tourism boards uh, you know, just to go to these to places like China to have put in place the, um, the, the the whole infrastructure that allows outbound travel. Uh, airlift is vital because I think no country can survive without decent airlift as far as tourism is concerned. So again, it comes back to my open skies uh, <laughs> plea that I think is is so important to uh, to try to encourage this travel. I mean, we see the the huge growth of the airlines in China itself and uh, some very good airlines coming up there that will continue to, to develop and help to grow outbound. And then the very interesting side, of course, is that I think China itself uh, stands to gain hugely from inbound travel to China mm. because most people have the desire to see China at some stage in, in, in their lifetime. And uh, I think that having traveled in China quite a bit over the last number of years, it's, it's an amazing country to visit and has so much to offer as such a vast country that they can easily absorb. They're used to crowds anyway, but they can easily absorb tourists mm -hmm. coming in. And I, I think the Chinese themselves should do a lot more to encourage inbound tourism to China. Mm -hmm. One other thing um, that I thought of while you were mentioning Open Skies uh -huh. again, um, a lot of, it, I'm not going to call it an electronics ban because that's not what it is exactly, but the regulations on bringing electronics um, in the cabin, uh, you know, you have to check your laptop yeah. in the hold. Mm. Um, do you see something like that? Right now it's just the US and the UK and it's only you yeah. know, a certain number of Middle East and, and, and I think North Africa yeah. airports. But do you see something like that taking a toll? Um, do you, would you anticipate something yes. like that to take a toll yeah. because it adds, there's this element of like fear when, because they say it's an intelligence mm. security issue um, or, or in addition to fear, um, it's inconvenient, you know? Especially if you're a yeah. business traveler. It is certainly inconvenient and it's unhelpful and it's puzzling. <laughs> you know, if having a computer on board is now uh, a threat or is, uh, could, could be a potential threat, surely all airports everywhere in the world should have to apply the, uh, the, the same regulation. To do it on a discriminatory basis between a few airports and even then, the UK hasn't applied it to all of the airports that, say, the US has applied it to. So puzzling is uh, the best way I can describe it at this stage. And I really think it needs a bit of clarification and a bit of understanding. Uh, I think people are absolutely perplexed. So what are you saying? That uh, I, I put the laptop in the, in, in the hold and uh, you couldn't have a time bomb or something in that, whereas you can, just because you can activate it, I, we find it puzzling. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I think we'd all like some more information on that. And yes. I'm not sure if we're going to get it. <laughs> but all right. Thank well, you so much. Okay, Hannah. Thank you very much. Appreciate thank it. You. Thanks. If you like what you've heard from Skift Forum Europe 2017 in London, there's more in store. Skift Global Forum is coming up on September 26th and 27th in New York City. 
Find out about this and other events at forum.skift.com. This show was produced by Ben Glowey, who can be found on Twitter at visible underscore sound. Assistant editor Sarah Enlow provided additional support. To subscribe to this podcast, search for Skift on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please leave a rating and a comment to help other listeners find us. Past episodes and a link to subscribe are online at podcast.skift.com. And this has been the Skift Podcast. Thanks for listening.